0: The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs, Chapter 2, The Mystery of Contentment. But you will object. What you speak of is very good, if we could attain to it. But is it possible for anyone to attain to this? It is possible. If you get skill in the art of it, you may attain to it. And it will prove to be not such a difficult thing either, if you but understand the mystery of it. There are many things that men do in their callings that if a countryman comes and sees, he thinks it is a mighty hard thing and that he should never be able to do it. But that is because he does not understand the art of it. There is a twist of the hand by which you may do it with ease. Now, that is the business of this book, to open to you the art and the mystery of contentment. There is a great mystery in art in what way a Christian comes to contentment. By what has been already opened to you, there will appear some mystery in art, as that a man should be content with his affliction, and yet thoroughly sensible of his affliction too. To be thoroughly sensible of an affliction, and to endeavor to remove it by all lawful means, and yet to be content. There is a mystery in that. How to join these two together, to be sensible of an affliction as much as a man or woman who is not content? I am sensible of it as fully as they and i seek ways to be delivered from it as well as they and yet still my heart abides content that is i say a mystery that is a very hard that is very hard for a carnal heart to understand but grace teaches such a mixture teaches us how to make a mixture of sorrow and a mixture of joy together and that makes contentment the mingling of joy and sorrow of gracious joy and gracious sorrow together Grace teaches us how to moderate and to order an affliction so that there shall be a sense of it, and yet for all that contentment under it. There are several things for opening the mystery of contentment. One, the first thing is to show that there is a great mystery in it. It may be said of one who is contented in a Christian way that he is the most contented man in the world, and yet the most unsatisfied man in the world. These two together must needs be mysterious. I say, a contented man, just as he is the most contented, so he is the most unsatisfied man in the world. You never learn the mystery of contentment, unless it may be said of you that just as you are the most contented man, so you are also the most unsatisfied man in the world. You will say, how is that? A man who has learned the art of contentment is the most contented with any low condition that he has in the world, And yet, he cannot be satisfied with the enjoyment of all the world. He is contented if he has but a crust, but bread and water. That is, if God disposes of him for the things of the world, to have but bread and water for his present condition, he can be satisfied with God's disposal in that. Yet, if God should give unto him kingdoms and empires, all the world to rule, if he should give it him for his portion, he would not be satisfied with that. Here is the mystery of it, though his heart is so enlarged that the enjoyment of all the world and ten thousand worlds cannot satisfy him for his portion, yet he has a heart quieted under God's disposal, if he gives him but bread and water to join these two together must needs be a great mystery in art, though he is contented with God in little, yet those things that would be content that would content other men will not content him. The men of the world seek after wealth and think if they had thus much, this much and this much, they would be content. They do not aim at great things. But if I had, perhaps some man thinks, only two or three hundred a year, then I should be well enough. If I had but a hundred a year or a thousand a year, says another, then I should be satisfied. But a gracious heart says that if he had ten hundred thousand times so much a year, it would not satisfy him. If he had the quintessence of all the excellences of all the creatures in the world, it could not satisfy him. And yet, this man can sing and be merry and joyful when he has only a crust of bread and a little water in the world. Surely religion is a great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness, not only in the doctrinal part of it, but in the practical part of it also. Godliness teaches us this mystery, not to be satisfied with all the world for our portion, and yet to be content with the meanest condition in which we are. When Luther was sent great gifts by dukes and princes, he refused them. And he says, I did vehemently protest that God should not put me off so. Tis not that which will content me. A little in the world will content a Christian for his passage. Mark, here lies the mystery of it. A little in the world will content a Christian for his passage, but all the world and ten thousand times more will not content a Christian for his portion. A carnal heart will be content with these things of the world for his portion, and that is the difference between a carnal heart and a gracious heart. But a gracious heart says, Lord, do with me what you will for my passage through this world. I will be content with that, but I cannot be content with all the world for my portion. So there is the mystery of true contentment. A contented man, though he is most contented with the least in the world, yet he is the most dissatisfied man that lives in the world. A soul that's capable of God can be filled with nothing else but God. Nothing but God can fill a soul that is capable of God. Though a gracious heart knows that it is capable of God and was made for God, carnal hearts think without reference to God. But a gracious heart, being enlarged to be capable of God and enjoying somewhat of him, can be filled by nothing in the world. It must only be God himself. Therefore you will observe that whatever God may give to a gracious heart, a heart that is godly, unless he gives himself, it will not do. A godly heart will not only have the mercy, but the God of that mercy as well. And then a little matter is enough in the world so be it he has the God of the mercy which he enjoys. In Philippians 4, 7, and 9, I need go no further to show clear scripture for this. Compare verse 7 with verse 9. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God shall keep your hearts. Then in verse 9, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and the God of peace shall be with you. The peace of God shall keep you, and the God of peace shall be with you. Here is what I would observe from this text, that the peace of God is not enough to a gracious heart, except it may have the God of that peace. A carnal heart would be satisfied if he might have but outward peace, though it is not the peace of God. Peace in the state and his trading would satisfy him. But mark how a godly heart goes beyond a carnal All outward peace is not enough. I must have the peace of God. But suppose you have the peace of God. Will that not quiet you? No. I must have the God of peace. As the peace of God, so the God of peace. That is, I must enjoy that God who gives me the peace. I must have the cause as well as the effect. I must see from whence my peace comes and enjoy the fountain of my peace as well as the streams of my peace. And so in other mercies. Have I health from God? Well, I must have the God of my health to be my portion, or else I'm not satisfied. It is not life, but the God of my life. It is not riches, but the God of those riches that I must have, the God of my preservation as well as my preservation. A gracious heart is not satisfied without this, to have the God of mercy as well as the mercy. In Psalm seventy-three twenty-five, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. There is nothing in heaven or on earth that can satisfy me but yourself. If God gave you not only earth but heaven, that you should rule over sun, moon, and stars, and have the rule over the highest of the sons of men, it would not be enough to satisfy you, unless you had God himself. There lies the first mystery of contentment. And truly, a contented man, though he is the most contented man in the world is the most dissatisfied man in the world. That is, those things that will satisfy the world will not satisfy him. Two, a Christian comes to contentment, not so much by way of addition as by way of subtraction. That is his way of contentment, and it is a way that the world has no skill in. I open it thus, not so much by adding to what he would have or to what he has, not by adding more to his condition, but rather by subtracting from his desires, so as to make his desires and his circumstances even and equal. A carnal heart knows no way to be contented but this. I have such and such possessions, and if I had this added to them, and the other comfort added that I have not now, then I should be content. Perhaps I've lost my possessions. Well, if I could only have have given to me something to make up my loss, then I should be a contented man. But contentment does not come in that way. It does not come, I say, by adding to what you want, but by subtracting from your desires. It is all one to a Christian whether I get up to what I would have or get my desires down to what I do have, either to attain to what I do desire or to bring down my desires to what I have already attained. My wealth is the same, for it is as fitting for me to bring my desire down to my circumstances as it is to raise up my circumstances to my desire. Now, I say that a heart that has no grace and is not instructed in this mystery of contentment knows of no way to get contentment but to have his possessions raised up to his desires. But the Christian has another way to contentment. That is, he can bring his desires down to his possessions, and so he attains his contentment. Thus the Lord fashions the hearts of the children of men If the heart of a man is fashioned to his circumstances, he may have as much contentment as if the circumstances were fashioned to his heart. Some men have a mighty large heart, but they have straightened circumstances, and they can never have contentment when their hearts are big and their circumstances are little. But though a man cannot bring his circumstances to be as great as his heart, yet if he can bring his heart to be as little as his circumstances, to make them even, that is the way to contentment. The world is infinitely deceived in thinking that contentment lies in having more than we have than we already have. Here lies the bottom and the root of all contentment. When there is an evenness and proportion between our hearts and our circumstances, that is why godly men who are in a low position live more sweet and comfortable lives than those who are richer. Contentment is not always clothed with silk and purple and velvet, but it is sometimes in a homespun suit in mean circumstances as well as in higher. Many men who once have had great estates and God has brought them into lower positions have had more contentment in those circumstances than they had before. Now, how can that possibly be? Quite easily, if you only understood that the root of contentment consists in the suitableness and proportion of a man's spirit to his possessions, an evenness where one end is not longer and bigger than the other. The heart is contented, and there is comfort in those circumstances. But now let God give a man riches, no matter how great. Yet if the Lord gives him up to pride in his heart, he will never be contented. On the other hand, let God bring anyone into mean circumstances, and then let God but fashion and suit his heart to those circumstances, and he will be content. It is the same in walking. Suppose a man had a very long leg, and his other leg was short. Why? Though one of his legs was longer than usual, still he could not go as well as a man, both of whose legs are shorter than his. I would compare a long leg, when one is longer than the other, to a man who has a high position and is very rich and a great man in the world, but he has a very proud heart too, and that is longer and larger than his position. This man cannot but be troubled in his circumstances. Another man is in a mean position. His circumstances are low, and his heart is low too, so that his heart and his circumstances are even. This man walks with abundantly more ease than the other. And thus a gracious heart thinks in this way. The Lord has been pleased to bring down my circumstances. Now if the Lord brings down my heart and makes it equal to my circumstances, then I am well enough. So when God brings down his circumstances, he does not so much labor to rise up his circumstances again as to bring his heart down to his circumstances. Even the heathen philosophers had a little glimpse of this. They would say that the best riches is poverty of desires. Those are the words of a heathen. That is, if a man or woman have their desires cut short and have no large desires, that man or woman is rich. So this is the art of contentment, not to seek to add to our circumstances, but to subtract from our desires. Another author has said, the way to be rich is not by increasing wealth, but by diminishing our desires. Certainly that man or woman is rich who have their desires satisfied. Now a contented man has his desires satisfied. God satisfies them. That is all considered. He is satisfied that his circumstances are for the present the best circumstances. So he comes to this contentment by way of subtraction and not addition. Three, a Christian comes to contentment not so much by getting rid of the burden that is on him as by adding another burden to himself. This is a way that flesh and blood has little skill in. You will say, how is this? In this manner, are you afflicted? And is there a great load and burden on you because of your affliction? You think there is no way in the world to get contentment, but, oh, that this burden were off? Oh, it is a heavy load, and few know what a burden I have. What? Do you think that there is no way for the contentment of your spirit, but to get rid of the burden? Oh, you are deceived. The way of contentment is to add another burden. That is, to labor, to load and burden your heart with your sins. The heavier the burden of your sin is to your heart, the lighter will be the burden of your affliction. And so you shall come to be content. If your burden were lightened, that would content you. You think there is no way to lighten it, but to get it off, but you're deceived. For if you can get your heart to be more burdened with your sin, you'll be less burdened with your afflictions. You will say, This is a strange way for a man or woman to get ease in their condition, to lay a greater burden upon them when they're already burdened. You think there is no way, when you're afflicted, to be jolly and merry and to get into company. Oh, no, you're deceived. Your burden will come again. Alas, this is a poor way to get one's spirit quieted, poor man. The burden will come upon him again. If you would have your burden light, get alone and examine your heart for your sin. And charge your soul with your sin. If your burden is in your possessions for the abuse of them, or if it is a burden upon your body for the abuse of your health and strength, and the abuse of any mercies that now the Lord has taken away from you, that you that you have not honored God with those mercies that you have had, and you have walked wantonly and carelessly, if you so fall to bemoaning your sin before the Lord, You shall quickly find the burden of your affliction to be lighter than it were before. Do not but try this piece of skill and art to get your soul contented with any low circumstances that God puts you into. Many times in a family, when any affliction befalls them, oh, what an amount of discontent is there between man and wife. If they're crossed in their possessions at land or have bad news from across the seas or if those whom they trusted are ruined and the like... Or perhaps something in the family causes strife between man and wife, in reference to the children or servants, and there's nothing but quarreling and discontent among them. Now they are many times burdened with their own discontent, and perhaps will say one to another, it is very uncomfortable for us to live so discontented as we do. But have you ever tried this way, husband and wife? Have you ever got alone and said, come, let us go and humble our souls before God together? Let us go into our chamber and humble our souls before God for our sin by which we have abused those mercies that God has taken away from us. And we've provoked God against us. Oh, let us charge ourselves with our sin and be humbled before the Lord together. Have you tried such a way as this? Oh, you would find that the cloud be taken away. The sun would shine in upon you and you would have a great deal more contentment than ever you had. If a man's estate is broken, either by plunderers or any other way, how shall this man have contentment? How? By the breaking of his heart. God has broken your estate. oh seek to him for the breaking of your heart likewise. Indeed, a broken estate and whole heart, a hard heart, will not join together. There will be no contentment. But a broken estate and a broken heart will so suit one another as that there will be more contentment than there was before. Add, therefore, to the breaking of your estate, the breaking of your heart. And that is the way to be contented in a Christian manner, which is the third mystery and contentment. Four, it is not so much removing of the affliction that is upon us as the changing of the affliction, the, metamorphosis, <laughs> the metamorphosing of the affliction, so that it is quite turned and changed into something else. I mean in regard of the use of it, though for the thing itself the affliction remains. The way of contentment to a carnal heart is only the removing of the affliction. Oh, that it may be gone. No, says the gracious heart, God has taught me a way to be content through the affliction itself, though it still continues. There is a power of grace to turn this affliction into good. It takes away the sting and the poison of it. Take the case of poverty. A man's possessions are lost. Well, Is there no way to be content till your possessions are made up again, till your poverty is removed? Yes, certainly. Christianity would teach contentment, though poverty continues. It will teach you how to turn your poverty into spiritual riches. You shall be poor still as to your outward possessions, but this shall be altered. Whereas before it was a natural evil to you, it comes now to be turned to a spiritual benefit to you, and so you come to be content. There is a saying of Ambrose, even poverty itself is riches to holy men. Godly men make their poverty turn into riches. They get more riches out of their poverty than ever they get out of their revenues. Out of all their trading in this world, they never had such incomes as they have had out of their poverty. This a carnal heart will think strange, that a man shall make poverty the most gainful trade that ever he had in the world. I'm persuaded that many Christians have found it so, that they have got more good by their poverty than ever they got by all their riches. You find it in Scripture. Therefore, think not this strange that I'm speaking of. You do not find one godly man who came out of an affliction worse than when he got into it. Though for a while he was shaken, yet at last he was better for an affliction. But a great many godly men, you find, have been worse for their prosperity Scarcely one godly man that you read of in scripture, but was worse for prosperity, except Daniel and Nehemiah. I do not read of any hurt they got by their prosperity. Scarcely, I think, is there one example of a godly man who was not worse for his prosperity than better. So rather, you see, it is no strange thing to one who is gracious that they get good by their affliction. Luther had a similar expression in his comment on the fifth chapter of the Galatians, the 17th verse. He says, A Christian becomes a mighty worker and a wonderful creator. That is, he says, to create out of the heaviness, joy. Out of the terror, comfort. Out of sin, righteousness. And out of death, life. He brings light out of darkness. It was God's prerogative and great power, his creating power, to command the light to shine out of darkness. Now, a Christian is a partaker of the divine nature. So the scripture says... Grace is part of the divine nature, and being part of the divine nature, it has an impression of God's omnipotent power, that is, to create light out of darkness, to bring good out of evil. By this way, a Christian comes to be content. God has given a Christian such power that he can turn affliction into mercies. He can turn darkness into light. If a man had the power that Christ had, when the water pots were filled, he could, by a word, turn the water into wine. And if you have nothing but water to drink, you have the power to turn it into wine, you might be content. Certainly a Christian has received this power from God to work thus miraculously. It is the nature of grace to turn water into wine. That is, to turn the water of your affliction into the wine of heavenly consolation. If you understand this in a carnal way, I know it will be ridiculous for a minister to speak thus to you. As you, as many carnal people are, all, are ready to make such expressions as these ridiculous, understanding them in a carnal way. This is just like Nicodemus in the third of John. What? Can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So when we say of grace that it can turn water into wine and turn poverty into riches and make poverty a gainful trade, a carnal heart says, well, let them have that trade if they will. Let them have that water to drink and see if they can turn it into wine. Oh, take, take heed that you do not speak in a scornful way of the ways of God. Grace has the power to turn afflictions into mercies. Two men may have the same affliction. To one it shall be as gall and wormwood, yet it shall be wine and honey and delightfulness and joy and advantage and riches to the other. That is the mystery of contentment. Not so much by removing the evil as by metamorphosizing the evil, by changing the evil, into good. 5. A Christian comes to this contentment not by making up the wants of his circumstances, but by the performance of the work of his circumstances. This is the way of contentment. There are these circumstances that I am in, with many wants. I want this and the other comfort. Well, how shall I come to be satisfied and content? A carnal heart thinks I must have my wants be made up, or else it's impossible that I should be content. But the gracious heart says, What is the duty of my circumstances God has put me into? Indeed, my circumstances have changed. I was, no, I was not long since in a prosperous state, but God has changed my circumstances. The Lord has called me no more Naomi, but Mara. Now what am I to do? What can I think now are those duties that God requires of me and the circumstances that he has now put me into? Let me exert my strength to perform the duties of my present circumstance. Others spend their thoughts on things that disturb and disquiet them. And so they grow more and more discontented. Let me spend my thoughts in thinking what my duty is. What is the duty of my present circumstances which I'm in? Oh, says a man whose condition is changed and who's lost his wealth. Had I but my wealth as I had heretofore, how would I use it to his glory? God has made me see that I did not honor him with my possessions as I ought to have done. Oh, if I had it again, I would do better than I did before. This may be but a temptation. You should rather think, what does God require of me in the circumstances I am now brought into? You should labor to bring your heart to quiet and contentment by setting your soul to work in the duties of your present condition. And the truth is, I know nothing more effective for quieting a Christian soul and getting contentment than this, setting your heart to work in the duties of the immediate circumstances that you're now in and taking heed of your thoughts about other conditions as a mere temptation. I cannot better compare the folly of those men and women who think they will get contentment by musing about other circumstances Then to the way of children. Perhaps they've climbed a hill and they look a good way off and see another hill. And they think if they were on top of that, they'd be able to touch the clouds with their fingers. But when they're on top of that hill, alas, they are as far from the clouds as they were before. And so it is with many who think, if I were in such circumstances, then I should have contentment. And perhaps they get into those circumstances and they're as far from contentment as before. But then they think that if they were in other circumstances, they would be contented. But when they have got into those circumstances, they are still as far from contentment as before. No, no. Let me consider what is the duty of my present circumstances and content content my heart with this and say, well, though I am in a low position, yet I'm serving the counsels of God in those circumstances where I am. It is the counsel of God that has brought me into these circumstances that I'm in, and I desire to serve the counsel of God in these circumstances. There is a remarkable scripture concerning David of whom it is said that he served his generation. After David had served his generation according to the will of God, then he slept. It is a saying of Paul concerning him in Acts thirteen thirty-six. In your Bibles, it is after he had served his own generation according to the will of God. But the word that is translated will means the counsel of God. And so it may be translated as well that after David in his generation has served God's counsel, then he fell asleep. We ordinarily take the words thus, that David served his generation. That is, he did the work of his generation. That is, to serve a man's generation. But it's clearer if you read it thus. After David, in his generation, had served the counsel of God, then David fell asleep. Oh, that should be the care of a Christian, to serve out God's counsels. What is the counsel of God? The circumstances that I'm in, God has put me into by his own counsel, the counsel of his own will. Now, I must serve God's counsel in my generation. Whatever is the counsel of God in my circumstances, I must be careful to serve that. So I shall have my heart quieted for the present and shall live and die peaceably and comfortably if I'm careful to serve God's counsel. 6. A gracious heart is contented by the melting of his will and desires into God's will and desires. By this means he gets contentment. This, too, is a mystery to a carnal heart. It is not by having his own desires satisfied, but by melting his will and desires into God's will, so that, in one sense, he comes to have his desires satisfied, though he does not obtain the thing that he desired before. Still, he comes to be satisfied with this because he makes his will to be at one with God's will. This is a small degree higher than submitting to the will of God. You all say that you should submit to God's will. A Christian has got beyond this. He can make God's will and his own will the same. It is said of believers that they're joined to the Lord and are one spirit. That means that whatever God's will is, I do not only see good reason to submit to it, but God's will is my will. When the soul can make over, as it were, its will to God... It must needs be contented. Others would fain get the thing they desire, but a gracious heart will say, Oh, what God would have, I would have too. I will not only yield to it, but I would have it too. A gracious heart has learned this art, not only to make the commanding will of God to be its own will, that is, what God commands me to do, I will do it, but to make the providential will of God and the operative will of God to be his will too. God commands this thing, which perhaps you who are Christians may have some skill in. But whatever God works, you must will, as well as what God commands. You must make God's providential will and his operative will, your will as well as God's will. And in this way, you must come to contentment. A Christian makes over his will to God. And in making over his will to God, he has no other will but God's. Suppose a man were to make over his debt to another man. If the man to whom I owe the debt be satisfied and contented, I am satisfied, because I have made it over to him, and I need not be discontented and say my debt is not paid and I am not satisfied. Yes, you are satisfied, for he to whom you made over your debt is satisfied. It is just the same for all the world between God and a Christian. A Christian heart makes over his will to God. Now, then, if God's will is satisfied, then I am satisfied, for I have no will of my own. It is melted into the will of God. That is the excellence of grace. Grace does not only subject the will to God, but it melts the will into God's will, so that they are now but one will. What a sweet satisfaction the soul must have in this condition. When all is made over to God, you will say, this is hard. I will express it a little more. A gracious heart must needs have satisfaction in this way, because godliness teaches him this to see that his good is more in God than in himself. The good of my life and my comforts and my happiness and my glory and my riches are more in God than in myself. We may perhaps speak more of that when we come to the lessons that are to be learned. It is by this that a gracious heart gets contentment. He melts his will into God's. For he says, if God has glory, I have glory. God's glory is my glory. And therefore, God's will is mine. If God has riches, then I have riches. If God is magnified, then I am magnified. If God is satisfied, then I am satisfied. God's wisdom and holiness is mine, and therefore, his will must needs be mine, and my will must needs be his. This is the art of a Christian's contentment. He melts his will into the will of God and makes over his will to God. O oh Lord, Thou shalt choose our inheritance for us. Psalm 47, 4. 7. The mystery consists not in bringing anything from outside to make my condition more comfortable, but in purging out something that is within. Now, the men of the world, when they would have contentment and lack anything, oh, they must have something from outside to content them. But a godly man says, Let me get something out of this out that is already in, and then I shall come to contentment. Suppose a man has a fever that makes what he drinks taste bitter. He says, you must put some sugar into my drink. His wife puts some in, and still the drink tastes bitter. Why? Well, because the bitterness comes from a bitter, choleric humor within. But let the physician come and and give him a bitter potion to purge out the bitterness that is within, and then he can taste his drink well enough. It is just the same with men of the world. Oh, such circumstances are bitter. And if I could have such and such a mercy added to this mercy, then it would be sweet. But even if God should put a spoonful or two of sugar in, it would still be bitter. The way to contentment is to purge out your lusts and bitter humors. From whence are wars and strife? Are they not from your lusts that are within you? James 4.1 They are not so much from things outside, but from within. I have said sometimes, not all the storms that are abroad can make an earthquake, but the vapors that have got within. So if those lusts that are within in your heart were got out, your condition would be, content, would be a contented condition. These are the mysterious ways of godliness that the men of the world never think of. When did you ever think of such a way as this, to go and purge out the diseases of your heart that are within? Here are seven particulars now named, and there are many more. Without the understanding of these things and the practice of them, you'll never come to true contentment in your life. Oh, you would be bunglers in this trade of Christianity. But the right perceiving of these things will help you be instructed in it, as in a mystery.